Pile Driver City, baby. It's all over yeah. now. Welcome the to the jungle, baby. The exposed boards. And Bully, you're right. Uh-oh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't wait for the power bomb instead. AJ able to quickly duck out of the way. There's a payline. Oh, no. That one caught him right in the top of the head. But after what AJ's been through, was it just that, that quick surge Still of adrenaline that, that gave him the one offensive move? Or can he string something together here against Bully? Oh, my God. Dixie caught his Look at the concern. He's right. panicking. I don't panicking, too. Concern X to the face of our TNA president, Dixie Carter. No. AJ, no. swing no. it. Oh, God. AJ, knockout blow. Chair shot to the head. No disqualification, no count out. Now it's backfiring for us. Damn it. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Does AJ no, have, you don't think, Mike, does you he don't have think. that one big high risk move left in him right here? Come on, AJ. No, no way. Come on, pull it out of the way. He Bully. points right at, this is for you, Dixie. Pull it, get out of the way. Get out of the way, bro. Get out of the way. Spiral tap. AJ hit the spiral tap. Cover. Earl Hebner counts one, no, two. No. Yes, new champion. New champion. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the match. And new TNA heavyweight champion of the world. Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! I am the voice of the voiceless. So I have everybody's attention now. Sorry about your damn luck. I deserve one more match. It's going to be the end of the world as you know it. And welcome back, folks, to another electric edition of WrestleRant Radio right here on EC Radio with your host with the most Bleacher Report featured columnist, Graham GSM Matthews with a jam-packed week here in the world of wrestling. We had TNA Bound for Glory, their biggest pay-per-view of this year, this past Sunday night live from the Viejas Arena in San Diego, California. I know some good friends that were there live for the event. Going to give some perspective a little later on. We had Monday Night Raw live last night. Going to go over that here tonight on tonight's show. As well as WWE Hell in a Cell, their upcoming pay-per-view. This upcoming Sunday night, my full prediction for that and much more here tonight live on WrestleRant Radio. Before we get started, just want to shoot a few plugs. Make sure to check out um, the alternate website to listen live to this show. You can check out nextearawrestling.weebly.com backslash WrestleRant-radio, an easier way to listen to the show. Rather than going through the Endicott website, it's an easier way. It also gets my website some more hits, so that's another way to listen to live to the show. Uh, make sure to check out my alternate podcast at WrestleRantRadio.podbean.com. My interviews with Jason Rumble, Jeremy Prophet, and Tommy Dreamer are up there right now. You can check out the official app of the podcast version if you go to the WrestleRantRadio.podbean.com. On your mobile device, on the Safari version, you can't go on Chrome, it doesn't work. 
Press the little arrow and press save to home screen, and you'll be notified of whenever podcasts are uploaded, so that's pretty cool. And, of course, if you listen live to the show or you can't listen live to the show thereof, um, you can listen live to the repeat of WrestleRant Radio on Sunday nights or Saturday nights, rather, at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 Central Time. Um, so that's another way to listen to WrestleRant Radio if you're not listening live on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time. But at this time, I'm going to bring in my guest for this evening. You might have heard him just a little earlier on. Um, Connor O'Keefe here, a, journal- a fellow journalism major here at Endicott College. How's it going tonight, Connor? It's going pretty well. It's great to be here, Graham. Sounds good. Sounds good. And Connor's just going to be jumping in and out over the course of the next hour. We have a jam-packed show for you, for you here tonight. Um, as I mentioned before, TNA Bound for Glory this past Sunday night live from the VA House Arena. As you heard from the audio prior to the awesome new intro that I just made last weekend, which I give myself credit for. But nonetheless, um, the audio that you heard prior to the intro... AJ Styles, after this upcoming, after this past Sunday's Bound for Glory pay-per-view, is your new TNA World Heavyweight Champion for the first time since, uh, I believe, May 2010. Um, so that's some exciting news. Not that great of an event overall, but with that being said, we're going to be going down the card here live this past Sunday night. Decent at some points, some lackluster other points, but nonetheless, here we go with the card. On the pre-show, we had the bromance Robbie E. and Jesse Goddard, respectively, taking on the teams of Chavo Guerrero and Hernandez, Bad Influence, Christopher Daniels and Kazarian, as well as Joseph Park and Eric Young defeated them in a four-team gauntlet match to become the number one contenders to the tag team championships, tag team champions later on in the show. This match was fine for what it was. Bromance, they, uh, or Bromance, I should say, I apologize. They won a fatal four-way match last week on Impact to get the, to get the final spot in the gauntlet match on this pre-show. The pre-show as a whole it aired on uh, on Spike Television one hour, one hour live before the pay-per-view itself. Um, it was a good match for what it was. Bromance wasn't high on them winning, but I was very glad that we did not get Chavo and Hernandez winning this matchup. If you can recall, it was one year ago at Bound for Glory that Chavo and Hernandez won the Tag Team Championships. Um, they've been teasing tension in the last few months. Chavo Guerrero teasing a heel turn. We didn't see any continuation of that on this show for some reason. I'm not really sure why. Don't really care. Bromance or your new number one contenders in this matchup. The pre-show as a whole didn't do anything for me personally. Um, we just had this matchup. It was okay. Aside from that, we didn't really get anything else. We got some interviews. We had uh, Bully Ray uh, talking for about a minute before the pay-per-view went live in a very brief promo. Um, just talking about his TNA World Heavyweight title match with AJ Styles later on in the night. That was good for what it was, but then again, they could have done something much more to put viewers that were on the fence of buying this pay-per-view something more in order to convince them to buy the pay-per-view because, of course, they've had since, uh, what was it, Slammiversary in June was their last pay-per-view um, and they've had four months to build this pay-per-view, yet they wasted so much time, they wasted until the final few weeks to uh, to build towards this pay-per-view, and they, they killed so much time that they killed any momentum that this pay-per-view had, but nonetheless, on pay-per-view, it looked like a solid card, I'll get on a little later on to that in uh, just a little bit, but um, they could have convinced viewers to buy the show with the pre-show, that didn't happen, but... Nonetheless, we move on to the actual card. We kick things off with the X Division Championship match contested in an Ultimate X match, which pitted Christopher Daniels, not Christopher Daniels, I apologize, Chris Saban, Manic, Jeff Hardy, Austin Aries, and Samoa Joe in an all-star Ultimate X match. It had all the potential in the world to be amazing. 
it just fell a little bit short of excellence. Um, it was not what anyone expected for those that were watching live at home, for those in attendance. From what I've heard, it was a disappointment. You've got four former world champions in this matchup, and then, of course, you have the defending X Division champion, Manic. One would think that this would be an, a spectacle of a matchup, which it wasn't, unfortunately. Um, they introduced ladders into the mix a little bit, which I believe is illegal in Ultimate X matches. I haven't been a TNA fan for that long. I believe they introduced the rule maybe in 07, 06, not really sure. But from what I heard, ladders aren't allowed in X Division matches, yet they brought one in anyway. The finish came when uh, Christopher, not Christopher, I keep on saying Christopher Daniels, his name is Chris Sabin, introduced a ladder into the matchup, started climbing it, his girlfriend, Velvet Sky, unwillingly distracting Jeff Hardy, thus allowing Chris Sabin to capitalize and capture his seventh record-breaking seventh X Division championship on this show. So I like the winner. The match itself was a major disappointment. Like I said before, it had all the potential in the world to be absolutely amazing. They dropped the ball on it. I don't know what went wrong. The fact that it kicked off the show I don't think was the best idea either um like I said before we had four former world champions in this matchup and including two of the people that were in the main event of last year's show Austin Aries and Jeff Hardy they closed out Bound for Glory their biggest pay-per-view of the year last year yet one year later they're kicking off the show in a lackluster matchup so that was a bit of a disappointment however I wasn't completely deflated by the show at this point in the show because of the fact that Christopher not Christopher Daniels, Chris Saban um, captured the championship, which I think desperately needed to happen. One of the positives of this matchup is the fact that um, after this after this show, that he can go on to feud with Austin Aries. Of course, we saw those two go at it in an X Division championship match earlier this year on the 4th of July edition of Impact. Great, great matchup. Here's hoping that we get more of that down the line from those two. So up next on Bound for Glory, we had Bad Influence come out, complaining about their loss earlier on in the pre-show to Bromance, stating that the tag team title match on the show should be a triple threat tag team title match, saying how they have been the most entertaining act in all of TNA for years now, and it's hard to argue with them. They simply are the best thing going in TNA right now, and there's so little to care about right now. They are the saving grace of this company, so to speak. But um, they come out, they start complaining, whining about uh, how Eric Young pinned them and whatnot, and then sure enough, Eric Young comes out, starts talking for a brief bit, saying how he doesn't want to challenge Bad Influence to a matchup because he doesn't want to beat them twice in one night. And, and, and one night, Of course, this angers Bad Influence. They start beating down on Eric Young, and sure enough, out comes the Monster Abyss, making his first TNA television appearance since, I believe, Slammiversary, maybe a little bit after. I'm not really sure when the last time we saw Abyss was, but we see him so... Um, his appearances are so far and few between these days that it was a cool moment. The crowd popped, which wasn't a common theme throughout the show, but uh, this was a very cool moment on the segment. We had Abyss make his comeback, save Eric Young from an attack from Bad Influence. Really enjoyed this. And the best part about this segment was the fact that Abyss brought back his old theme music, which we haven't heard in close to two and a half years. He has had his new music um, for since maybe April of 2011. It was okay for what it was, but I don't know. I, I, I personally am a fan of his old music, so I was marking out when I, heard, uh, when I heard his old music hit the show. So that was pretty cool. We have Abyss back, Eric Young. Uh, they didn't reveal that Abyss is Joseph Park. They didn't reveal that. They uh, simply went on the fact that they're still brothers and whatnot, but of course we didn't see them... Um, Side by side in the same segment, this came after Joseph Park was bloodied earlier on the night, so that triggered the Abyss character to come out. So they didn't reveal that he's that Joseph Park is actually Abyss, but nonetheless, it was cool to see Abyss at Bound for Glory. 
Up next, we have the Tag Team Championship match. Bromance, Robbie E. and Jesse Goddard. Jesse Goddard one year after debuting in TNA. Um, of course, Jesse is from Big Brother. I have never seen the show before. I was completely unfamiliar when this guy came in about a year ago as Tara's boyfriend. Um, on screen, of course. Um, he hasn't really improved a lot since then. I guess he's slightly better. I still don't care any more about him than I did then. But even still, they are the new tag team champions after unseating the duo of James Storm and Gunner. A lot of people were moaning and groaning about the title change. I personally am for the title change. James Storm and Gunner have been champions since June's Slammiversary pay-per-view. That was four and a half months ago, folks, on my birthday of June 2nd. They have yet to defend the championships once. To my knowledge, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think they defended the titles once over the last four and a half months. Um, so I'm not really sure what happened to the 30-day rule, but nonetheless, that was a bit of a disappointment. So I'm very glad that we have new tag team champions in Bromance, Robbie E., and Jesse Goddard, respectively. And, of course, that Robbie E. is a guilty pleasure of mine. I had the distinct pleasure of meeting Robbie E. at a live event, I believe, three years ago in early October of 2010. Um, so, yeah, he's a really cool guy, although he comes off as a bit of a jerk on television. He's a cool guy in, in reality. He's a good wrestler. I think he's underrated. The gimmick kind of hinders him, but even still, he is one half of your new World Tag Team Champions. Um, we're going to move on now to our next matchup. Not next matchup, but our next segment on the show. It was the moment where Kurt Angle, the Olympic gold medalist, was going to be inducted into the TNA Hall of Fame. Now, the TNA Hall of Fame has gotten a lot of crap since it's uh, since it was first introduced about a year ago. Um, TNA has only been around, of course, for about a decade now, whereas the WWE, when they introduced their Hall of Fame, were around for 40 years as, a pair, as compared to 10. So a lot of people say that the TNA Hall of Fame has no credibility because the company's been only around for a decade and they already inducted Sting last year. But that being said, they had Sting do the honors of inducting Kurt Angle in the Hall of Fame. And then to the shock of the crowd, to my surprise and to everyone else's surprise, Kurt Angle says, I am not worthy of being in the TNA Hall of Fame. I am very appreciative of this honor. However, I will accept the honor when I believe I am worthy of it, or something along those lines. Drops the mic and, and just leaves. It, they just left the segment at that. It was absolutely asinine. On their biggest show of the year, ladies and gentlemen, they've been promoting this for four months now, like from Slammiversary when they announced that Kurt Angle was going into the TNA Hall of Fame. Kurt Angle has been announced that he's going to make his big comeback at, uh, at Bound for Glory after his DUI, after going into rehab a few months ago, making his big comeback on the biggest show of the year, only to decline their work Hall of Fame. It's a fake Hall of Fame. It's no baseball Hall of Fame, of course, but he further devalued their Hall of Fame by declining entry into it and by saying that he's going to accept the invitation at a later date when he believes he's worthy. What that means is beyond me, but the crowd was sure as hell not receptive to that. Um, they absolutely did not care about this at all. They booed Angle on his way out of the building, which is pretty comical. But um, yeah, that was not the best segment, especially considering the fact that people paid money, people. They paid money to attend Kurt Angle's Hall of Fame dinner the night prior. So people attended his Hall of Fame induction ceremony. That didn't even actually go down. So I feel bad for the people that paid money to see him get inducted on Saturday night, which ultimately did not come to fruition. So if I was one of those people in attendance, I would want my money back. So we'll move on to the next matchup here. We had Kurt Angle. Uh, no, what was it? Oh, no, I'm sorry. We had the Knockouts Championship matchup. We had ODB defending her Knockouts title in a triple threat match, which has received little to no build over the last two weeks, may I mind you, against the likes of Gail Kim and Brooke. 
it was a fine matchup for what it was. ODB, I've expressed, I've expressed my interest or my opinion in her in the past. I have, um, I, I take a guilty pleasure to ODB. She's a fun character. She's just not the best in ring worker. However, Gail Kim is Brooke is terrible in the ring. Um, even though she's been in the business for close to seven years now, um, she's not terrible, but she is pretty mediocre at best. She was fine in this match, uh, Gail Kim and. To an extent, ODB carried her to a decent matchup. It was an exceptional exceptional bout for what it was. But, of course, everyone in the audience, everyone watching at home, was, of course, waiting for the ultimate interference, the inevitable interference of Lady Tapa, who's been making her presence known on recent um, episodes of Impact. And, of course, sure enough, she makes her in, or her pay-per-view debut, I should say, um, not counting one night only from a few uh, a few months ago. I think it was last month. Uh, it was in September. Um, but yeah, Lady Tapa comes out. She power bombs the heck out of Brooke, knocks out ODB on the stage, allowing Gail Kim to pick up the victory in her third knockouts championship. And a little fun fact for you, Doug, for you guys: um, it was two years ago from that show on October twentieth, two thousand eleven, that Gail Kim made her valiant return to TNA, her shocking return to TNA. On an episode of Impact, and then two years later, to the date, to the very day, she wins her third Knockouts Championship. So I thought that was pretty cool. Gil Kim, out of everyone in the division, which isn't a lot of people, um, they have maybe six to six uh, Knockouts at best, six women wrestlers at best in TNA right now. But um, bringing in Lady Tapa is a step in the right direction. TNA probably realized that she is indeed green, so they paired her up with Gil Kim. Now, a lot of people are saying that, uh, are, are criticizing this new pairing of Gail Kim and Lady Tapa. I take no offense to it. I don't really care. But the reason people are against the idea of pairing these two together is that it's fairly reminiscent of the recent pairing of AJ Lee, the Davis champion in WWE, and Tamina Snuka. And I have said in the past that Tamina Snuka, or I'm sorry, Lady Tapa rather, um, strongly resembles that of Tamina Snuka. So, I don't know if TNA watches WWE's product, if it was intentional, if it, was, if it wasn't intentional, but regardless, it seems very closely linked. But I'll let it slide. I don't really care. I'm not one of those people that are against the idea. If it gets Lady Tapa on television, it pairs it with someone that we won't have to see Lady Tapa on television or in the ring as much as we would if she was on her own, then I'm all for it. The only thing I'm not for is seeing another batch of ODB and Gail Kim matches for absolutely no reason because those matches... Uh, from Impact last month were fine at best. They were mediocre, but nothing more than that. We'll move on to the Bobby Roode and Kurt Angle matchup, which a lot of people, myself included, are calling the hands-down match of the night. And of course, it was at Bound for Glory two years ago in the main event of the show that Bobby Roode contended for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship against Kurt Angle in one of the most lackluster Finishes to a championship match on pay-per-view in TNA history. Not counting Victory Road 2011, for those of you at home knowing what I'm talking about. But um, even still, Bobby Roode came up short on that night. Not on this show. Bobby Roode and Bound for Glory 2013 single-handedly, cleanly defeated Kurt Angle in the middle of the ring. This came after Kurt Angle hits Bobby Roode with an angle slam off the top rope. And that yet somehow Bobby Roode beat the 10 count, stood up. Laid back down, right back on top of Kurt Angle, got the three count, and it was over. And then after the matchup, Kurt Angle got it on a stretcher. They stretchered him out, or at least attempted to, before he powered out of it and was willing to walk out of the arena on his own terms. 
Um, so that was a bit weird. It didn't seem like Kurt Angle broke his neck or anything. It's not like he did another moonsault off the top of the cage. He didn't do anything all that extreme. So I don't see why the stretcher was necessary, but it was fitting for him to lose after declining the Hall of Fame invitation earlier on in the night. So it was fitting to see Bobby Roode pick up his first victory at BFG in close to five years. His last victory at the biggest show of the year for TNA came at um, Bound for Glory 2008, I believe in a tag team match um, for the tag team title. So this is Bobby Roode's first win on pay-per-view and as far as Bound for Glory goes since, uh, since 2008. So that's pretty cool. He's very deserving of the honor. He's been one of the best acts in all of TNA for years now since turning heel. So glad to see Bobby Roode pick up the victory. Great matchup, terrible finish, but I'll let that slide because the matchup was so freaking great. Move on to our next matchup, Ethan Carter III, a.k.a. the former, the artist formerly known as Derek Bateman in WWE, taking on Dixie Carter's biggest challenge, or so she said, by uh, an independent wrestler by the name of Norv Furnham, I believe it was. I can't remember what his real name was, but what they introduced him as on the show was Norv Vernum or something along those lines. The matchup, it was a basic squash matchup. Ethan Carter goes over. Um, his in-ring skills have definitely improved since that of when he was Derek Bateman in WWE. I, I somewhat liked his character in WWE. I somewhat like didn't, so I'm not really sure where I stand with this new Ethan Carter character, but... If he's linked with Dixie Carter, who is one of the most overheels in the company right now, then only good things can come of it. Because of course he's going to get some, uh, he's going to get some good heat from going in and facing, uh, and facing whoever stands in his way um, uh, going forward. So it, it, it depends on who he ends up rivaling going forward. But we're going to have to wait and see. But even still, this matchup was your basic squash matchup. Ethan Carter goes over. The crowd does not care. They don't give two craps about this matchup at all, which is a shame because he had the cool entrance music. He had a good look. He shaved his fro from WWE. He uh, he had some solid in-ring skills, and his, fin- his finisher is absolutely brutal. Um, it was the same finisher that Dean Ambrose is using right now, and he makes it look brutal as well. But um, some people are saying that Ethan Carter should change his finisher so it doesn't strongly resemble that of Dean Ambrose's, but in Ethan Carter's defense... He used that move uh, long before Dean Ambrose did. He was actually using that as his finisher uh, dating back as far as NXT a few years ago. So Ethan Carter has rights to the move in my book, but if he wants to separate himself from Dean Ambrose, especially given the fact they're both from Ohio, then he'll get a new finisher, even though it looks absolutely devastating. Next matchup on the card here, we had Magnus versus Sting, one of the biggest, most hyped matches going into the show. Ultimately, though, it was a disappointment. It wasn't well-wrestled at all, and that's coming from a fan of Magnus. I'm not a Sting hater, so to speak. I am not, I'm not a fan of Sting. I don't hate Sting, but it's, if this matchup was any indication, it's time for Sting to hang it up. He is, at last word, I, at last I checked, this man is 54 years old. Yes, you heard that right, ladies and gentlemen, 54 years old. And this guy's still going strong in TNA. I, don't, I, I shouldn't say he's still going strong, but... The guy's still sticking around, I believe. From what I last heard, he is still doing a year-by-year basis in TNA as far as contract goes. So his contract might be expiring as far as uh, as soon as December, and I hope so. I would love to see him in WWE. I know reports are recently indicating that we might see Sting work a match at WrestleMania 30. I think that'd be absolutely awesome if he did. 
But, um, yeah, I, this matchup was not good at all. Magnus tried to get in some offense. The live crowd didn't care at all. I mean, he, Magnus has been getting over nicely as a babyface over the last uh, 10 months or so, but this match did him no favors. The crowd adored Sting, and um, I think that was Magnus's ultimate downfall. But I guess it might be a good thing, because based off the post-match interactions, um, Magnus is now heel. It's not official, but from from what we saw, he refused to shake Sting's hand until the very end. And when he did shake his hand, he basically gave it an old slap and just walked away. So I wouldn't say that he's a full-fledged heel. I wouldn't say he's still face. Maybe he's a tweener. We're going to have to wait and see. But I, I, I personally am not a fan of the, of the turn of Magnus. I don't think it's necessary. I thought he was... Over as a baby face, he was gaining momentum. They were doing the same thing with Crimson a couple years ago, but I don't think that's a good enough comparison because Crimson wasn't all that good in the ring. Magnus is. Um, I just think he's lacking in charisma. And maybe they're going to put him with Dixie because he Dixie has been his biggest supporter since day one. So I could see how that can make sense. And as whatever gets us to him in the title picture, him versus Styles for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship with a heel Magnus, and babyface AJ Styles, I would love to see that as soon as Genesis, if it was to happen. But my only fear with the heel Magnus is that TNA is going to drop the ball on it, which I really hope doesn't happen. But uh, one can only hope that doesn't happen, so only time will tell. Moving on now to our main event of the program for the TNA World Heavyweight Championship, the winner of the BFG Series, AJ Styles contending for the title against Bully Ray in a no-disqualification match. And of course, in only TNA, like only TNA does, there was interference um, galore throughout this matchup. We had interference from Aces and Eights members Nux. We had Garrett Bischoff come in. We had Dixie Carter attempt to screw over AJ Styles and cost him the title by telling uh, referee Earl Hepner not to make the three count at one point. There was just an absolutely excessive um, amount of interference in this matchup. And I guess it's fine if it was a no DQ matchup, but what they should have done, and I appreciate the fact they made a no disqualification because they did a, a lot of awesome spots, which included AJ Styles doing a 450 through the commentating table when Bully Ray wasn't even there. Bully Ray moved out of the way at the last second. AJ Styles was sent spiraling, spiraling through the announce table at ringside, which is an awesome visual. And then at the end of the matchup, he hits a spiral tap onto Bully Ray with the ring exposed with the cardboard like when the Nexus did, when they stripped the ring of all of its canvas and whatnot, when they invaded Raw a couple years ago. Um, Bully Ray took the spiral tap on that wood part of the ring, I guess you could say, and then that's how AJ Styles won the TNA Heavyweight Championship. But um, yeah, even still, I appreciate the effort that Bully Ray and AJ Styles put into this matchup. It was a very strong effort from both guys. Great matchup, very entertaining. The only thing that hindered this matchup was the interference. Dixie Carter, she's trying to be a, a poor man's Vince McMahon with the whole Montreal screw job kind of thing, trying to screw over a, uh, AJ Styles, which I, I just, it was just dumb. It's just dumb. TNA, the whole common theme throughout this, like I mentioned throughout this whole entire review here, is that there are a lot of things similar between TNA and WWE. They got the heel authority figures, you got the the women pairing of AJ style of AJ Lee and Tamina Snuka compared with uh Lady Tapa and Gail Kim, Derek Bateman's finisher and Dean Ambrose's finisher being the same thing. There's just a lot of similarities between the two companies and what the whole purpose of TNA when it was created back in 2002 11 years ago was that it was going to be an alternative uh, um alternative to WWE. For those, of, for those people that were disgusted with WWE, didn't like their style or too bored with it and whatever, TNA was going to be the, the great escape from, the, from up north, as they say. 
And they're not proving that with all these similarities between the two companies. So if they really want to distance themselves from WWE, they got to start changing it up a little bit. And they didn't start with that on this show with Dixie Carter getting getting herself involved in this matchup. But, you know, aside from that, it was a great matchup, great moment with AJ Styles, your new TNA World Heavyweight Champion. He went out in the crowd after the matchup, celebrated with the fans for a very cool visual. So that was a high note to end the show on. But And another high note was the fact that Hulk Hogan didn't return either because this guy's been under contract with TNA since uh, almost exactly four years. It might have been October 25th, I want to say. Got to do my homework in advance, but I'm not really sure. I got to double check on that. Hulk Hogan's been... The point is that Hulk Hogan's been under contract for TNA for years now. This guy's been making unnecessary appearances on the show for years upon years, not doing anything. He doesn't even he doesn't even promote TNA in interviews and whatever. He provides no brand awareness for TNA, which is why TNA is where it's at right now because he doesn't do anything to promote the product at all. Maybe here and there every few months, but not on a consistent basis like he should be. So all that being said, he serves no purpose. I said this last week, but TNA should not sign Hulk Hogan. Thankfully, they did not re-sign him in time for Bound for Glory. So he didn't ultimately appear at the event. He didn't take away from AJ Styles' title victory, which is good because the night should have belonged to AJ Styles, and it did. And Hulk, uh, thankfully, Hulk Hogan didn't steal his thunder. So I'm glad that happened. Hulk, hopefully, hopefully, um, hopefully, we don't get Hulk Hogan back in TNA. If anything, I would like to see him back in WWE under a Legends contract. Like I said last week, you had the Real Americans go out on WrestleMania. Hulk Hogan comes out, interferes, or. Uh, uh, interrupts their promo, calls himself the real American, drops a big boot or two, or, or drops a leg drop or two, and you send the crowd home happy at WrestleMania 30. So I would like to see him back in WWE. He serves no purpose in TNA. So if you're listening to Dixie Carter, do not re-sign this man. So that about does it for Bound for Glory from this past Sunday. Um, all in all, I thought it was a disappointing show. Then again, I mean, my expectations were high for this show, and they had a very strong card on paper. It just failed to deliver, and I mean, it's hard to say that it was disappointing because they've only been hyping for the they've only been hyping the show for the last two three weeks, which is a major mistake all in of itself because they've had four months to build towards this pay per view. The biggest thing, the biggest plus of TNA reducing the four pay per views per year as opposed to WWE's thirteen or whatever the heck it is, was that they should be, they should have more time to build towards their pay per views, thus making them more important. And since they haven't done that, it just feel it just felt like any other show. Some people that were in attendance felt like it was an episode of Impact with a few title changes. We had four title changes on the show. Every championship in TNA right now, every current championship, if you don't count the, the television title, which is a joke anyway, so I'm not going to count that. But um, every championship, every current title in, in TNA at the moment changed hands at Bound for Glory, which is fitting like it did last year because it's uh, – it's their biggest show of the year, and if there's any time to do title changes, it's at their biggest show of the year and not an impact like they usually do. But, um, you know, that being said, though, I just thought it was an absolute waste to, you know, waste your time not building towards this pay-per-view for three straight months and then wait until the final two weeks. But um, if you're going to go back and watch the show, don't reorder. I, don't, I strongly suggest not reordering the show. Um, it, you're, you'd just be wasting your money, however much it is. I know WWE's pay-per-views are uh, 55 bucks to 60 bucks, and then TNAs are maybe 35 at best. But, um, yeah, if you can go back and watch the show, check out Bobby Roode versus Kurt Angle, match the night hands down, as well as the main event, if only for the closing moment of AJ Styles winning his first TNA World Heavyweight title for the first time in three years. Um, from Some people that were at the event that I know 
um, the hosts of Gorilla Blood, Nick Anthony and, and company over at Gorilla Blood, which airs immediately following this show on PW247.net at 10 o'clock Eastern time. So check that out once you're done listening to this. Um, from what they told me, that the arena was almost empty. This uh, arena, I believe fit, I can't remember the exact number, maybe 14,000 people. And from what I heard, TNA's Bound for Glory pay-per-view, their biggest show of the year, may I mind you, only had 3,000 people at best. It's disappointing. It was, it was pretty pathetic for them, um, for the pictures that were going around that were being circulated via Twitter and Facebook and the dirt sheets and the stuff like that. I saw the picture, and I almost burst out laughing. It was, it was so comical that TNA would, would rent this arena for their biggest show of the year and not come close to selling out. They had 3,000 people in the arena for an arena, for an arena that fits 14,000 people. It was so embarrassing that they only had to fill in seats on the hard camera side because it looked like a full house from what you saw. They only filled the side that the camera shows – Everything behind the camera, vacant. Absolutely vacant. It was embarrassing. I think live events for WWE do more people than that. I think Ring of Honor shows have more people at them than this. Excuse me. But um, that was embarrassing. I don't think TNA is going out of business regardless, but um, th- that was just embarrassing. TNA should not rent out arenas. They know they're not going to be selling out or come close to selling out in the slightest. But on that note now, we're going to switch gears now to Monday Night Raw for October 21st, 2013. The final show before WWE Hell in a Cell on Sunday. Um, Their go-home show. Um, It was pretty good for what it was. We had the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. All the matches being heavily hyped throughout the course of the night. In the opening segment, we had Big Show interrupting The Authority, as they're now calling themselves Stephanie McMahon and Triple H, via the Titan Tron. And, of course, it's illogical to think that Big Show being fired and all is making appearances and showing up without, um, without permission. And fired superstars do this all the time in WWE. It's been happening for as long as I can remember, so I'm not going to complain about that. It's very uh, reminiscent of the old John Cena storyline from 2010 when he was fired by the Nexus and showed up every week anyway. So it's almost exactly like that, so I'm not going to complain about that, especially given the fact that it's been rumored, and I thought this anyway, that uh, it's going to be Mr. McMahon to be revealed behind uh, the one pulling the strings behind uh, behind the curtains. So he's going to be the one aiding Big Show and helping Daniel Bryan in the end. I'm not really sure how it's going to work out, but that looks like it's that that's the route that they're going to be taking with the whole Big Show angle. So to kick off the show, it was a standard segment. I didn't really care for it. It wasn't bad. It wasn't fantastic. It was just kind of one of those meh. Kicks off to kickoffs to the show in order to hype the Hell in a Cell pay per view on Sunday. In our first full match of the night, in our opening match of the night, we had the United States Champion Dean Ambrose in a non-title matchup against Daniel Bryan. We've seen this match several times over the last few months, but it just never gets old. These guys have just such amazing chemistry together that um, they're just their most recent match on Raw was just amazing, just fantastic stuff. Um, Ambrose, I hate when mid card champions lose unnecessarily to people that aren't going to be going for their championships. But um, this is the rare exception because he put up such a strong fight against the number one contender to the WWE title. It was predictable that Brian was going to emerge victorious, but that didn't take anything away from it. It was some exciting action, probably the best match of the night. And um, if you're going to go out of your way to watch anything from Raw, or from Raw I should say, um, I, I would definitely suggest this matchup because it was just some great stuff from these uh, former uh, indie guys. Up next, we had CM Punk addressing Paul Heyman and Ryback for their upcoming Hell in a Cell match on Sunday. 
Again, like I said with the opening segment, pretty standard promo from Punk, who is always almost amazing on the mic. This was, you know, much of the same from Punk. We've we've been hearing him talk about the same thing about getting his hands on Heyman for the last, I don't know, four months now. He said the same thing at night, uh, you know, in the weeks preceding Night of Champions. But I will give credit where credit is due in saying that Paul Heyman and and CM Punk have done a a hell of a job um, promoting this pay per view in the sense that they are telling people that CM Punk is essentially guaranteed to be getting his hands on Heyman in the cell on Sunday. So hopefully that should sell some pay-per-view buys for um, for Sunday. But um, even still, going back to the promo, fine for what it was. We've seen Punk mention this before, before Night of Champions. So, you know, much of the same from the straight-edge superstar. Up next, in the most asinine match I've seen on Raw in quite some time, we had Santino, Elvis Presley, Morella taking on Heath Slater. And, of course, Forgot to mention this before, but this show was taking place at uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, this past week. And with that being said, it was of course the hometown of Jerry the King Lawler, who was um, confronted by Santino. He uh, they danced upon the uh, the commentating table after the matchup after Santino won. But um, I don't know where I stand with this stuff. I just thought it was dumb that Santino came out dressed like Elvis Presley. And Great Collie dresses Elvis Presley, Hornswoggle 2, 3, the biggest jokes in all of wrestling right now, coming out, making complete jokes of themselves. But And the match was what it was. Heath Slater's been a jobber for as long as I can remember, so I'm not going to complain about that. But, you know, Santino putting the wig, putting the Elvis Presley wig on the Cobra when he did the Cobra to Heath Slater, eh, that got a chuckle out of me. But aside from that, I mean, there's a pay-per-view on Sunday. Could you not have spent more time promoting some of the pay-per-views uh, pr- uh, promoting some of the matches for the pending pay-per-view rather than wasting time with this garbage that only maybe 5% of your audience finds funny, but I digress. Moving right along here, we had Randy Orton versus Dolph Ziggler on this show, the first time that these two have faced off in quite some time. However, the first time ever, though, Dolph Ziggler was the babyface and Randy Orton was a heel. You know, despite that, though, the fans were still split and half cheering for Randy Orton despite being the heel and half chanting for Dolph Ziggler. A good match in these two. We've seen we've seen better from Orton and Ziggler in the past. Again, like with Ambrose and Ziggler, uh, like with Ambrose and Brian, they have great chemistry with each other. They should have gotten more time. Orton, who's going into a championship match on Sunday, was of course going to go over. So that was pretty predictable. It could be seen coming from a mile away. But it's just a shame. Dolph Ziggler a few months ago was one of the most hottest acts in all of professional wrestling, one of the most hottest commodities in all of the WWE when he cashed in his Money in the Bank briefcase the night after WrestleMania, won the World Heavyweight Championship for the second time in his career. This time it actually mattered. Got one of the biggest reactions, to my knowledge, of the last year or two um, when he cashed in the World Heavyweight or when he cashed in the World Heavyweight Championship. Money in the Bank briefcase, became the World Champion, got a concussion. It's been all downhill from there. Been de-pushed heavily, which is a shame. This guy's got so much talent. He hasn't been completely buried. I won't say he got buried in this match, but... It's just a shame that there's so much more that WWE could be doing right now with the Bleach Blonde Superstar, and they aren't. But um, hopefully they do in due time. Moving along here, we got the Bella Twins taking on uh, the Divas Champion AJ Lee and Tamita Snuka in tag team action. And again, another good tag team match. Fine for what it was by Divas standards. Nikki Bella making her first in-ring appearance since the June 3rd edition of Raw, which I actually attended back in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, so that was pretty cool, but uh, not a fan of the Bella Twins, not surprised at all that Brie Bella is not getting over as a babyface right now. She is the more genuine 
twin of of, of uh, the Bella twins. I like her more than Nikki Bella. She seems more relatable as a person. And that she'd seem evident given the fact that she's dating Daniel Bryan both in the show and in reality. But um, it's just going to take some time for the fans to get used to her. You know, calling AJ a loser after she pinned her after the match, that was just juvenile. So I, I didn't see any comedy in that. And why they do that is beyond me. Um, it was just a part of their shtick when they were the mean girls of the WWE a few short years ago. Um, so why they continue to do that is beyond me when they should really just drop it, you know, just play it babyface as much as they can if they hope to garner a face reaction out of the crowd. Um, from what I heard from a report um, either last night or earlier today or whatever it was, AJ Lee was legitimately upset with being chanted AJ's pregnant um, from the crowd on the show. I didn't hear that. I wasn't looking out for it. Maybe my audio sucked. I'm not really sure. Um, but whoever chanted that is, is juvenile. It doesn't even make any sense. And um, I'm not sure if we're going to have enough time to go over this later on in the show. But um, news broke just a few days ago that CM Punk could be potentially dating AJ Lee. These two were an on-screen couple, you know, on and off couple, I guess, over the course of the summer of 2012 with the whole crazy chick thing when Punk was WWE champion. That was entertaining. And they just seemed like a natural fit, too, because AJ, since entering the WWE, since rising to prominence, climbing the ladder in WWE, and now the new Divas champion, and has been the reigning Divas champion for well over four months now, um, here's hoping she breaks the longest reigning Divas champion record of all time at some point. But um, it just seemed like a natural fit from the start. These two have chemistry together as a couple. They seem like a very cute couple, both in the show and in reality, so I hope it's true. But um, I'm just amazed at CM Punk that this guy's an absolute player. This guy's dated Maria, um, Maria Canelius. I, I can't pronounce her last name for the life of me. But Maria, the former WWE diva who departed the company a few years ago, he dated her. He's dated Beth Phoenix in the past. He's dated Lita, which I didn't even know they broke up. I, to my knowledge, I thought they were still together. So when I heard this, I was uh, completely blown away. But um, I guess she is now apparently dating CM Punk. So in the show, CM Punk is not a player. However, AJ is. And I'm not sure how many people that AJ Lee has dated in the past as far as former wrestlers go. But, um, you know, best of luck to them if it, if it is indeed true. But the whole AJ Lee's pregnant thing, the whole chance for that, this, this dumb. For anyone chanting that, just get your stuff together. That's just garbage. Moving right along here, we had the Wyatt family. Uh, made up of Luke Harper and Eric Rowan taking on The Miz and Kofi Kingston in tag team action. It was a fine matchup, uh, a rematch of what we saw on SmackDown a few days prior. From what I heard, the backstage officials were impressed with Luke Harper, who is indeed a former Ring of Honor wrestler. I didn't know that until just a few short months ago, but that is pretty cool. He is pretty solid in the ring. He's not a five-star Matt Classic wrestler or anything like that. But um, he is a good brawler. He's proven that with matches with Sheamus in the past. He's proven that down in NXT. He's proven that in his recent tag team matches on WWE's roster. But the biggest hits coming out of this, the biggest plus, is the fact that they are still being pushed as a dominant heel. Excuse me, as a dominant heel tag team, um, with you know tons of funk and those guys being absolute jokes and whatnot. Just, just dumb, just dumb asinine stuff. Um, the fact that they're still dancing around despite being intimidating figures, um, it, it's good to see that we have at least one monster heel tag team, and I guess you could count the Shield as that, but I, I wouldn't say they're a monster heel tag team. They're more of a, a dominant tag team. But even still, Harper and, uh, and Rowan go over here. They tie up Miz after the matchup. Bray Wyatt cuts a cool promo, as he always does. Awesome mic skills from Bray Wyatt. 
um, saying that he's going to take The Miz to hell, of course referring to Hell in a Cell this upcoming Sunday. At last word, Bray Wyatt is cleared to go in the ring. Um, His injury that he sustained a few weeks ago, um, I believe, has healed. He can now walk um, on his own without any crutches or anything. He can now walk into the ring. We saw that this past week on Raw, or last night on Raw. So um, I'm not sure if the match with The Miz at Hell in a Cell is back on, if they're going to wait until Survivor Series. I don't know, but with only mere matches announced for uh, for the card on Sunday, I would not at all be surprised if this was added on at the last minute on SmackDown, which is currently being recorded, I believe, to air on Friday. Moving along here, we had another tag team match, and someone pointed this out to me earlier on today. I believe we had five tag team matches on the show. Um, Let me count here. One, two, three, four. We did. We had five tag team matches on the show, and oddly enough, I think four of them actually aired in a row. Um, A lot of people say that tag team wrestling is dead, and I've been saying this for a while now. I was actually just thinking about this last night. Tag team wrestling, in my mind, is not dead. Just look at the last few tag team champions we've had. We've had Cody Rhodes and Goldust, who won the titles last week in the main event of Raw. I can't even tell you the last time the tag team titles were defended in uh, the main event of Monday Night Raw, their flagship show. Then before that, of course, we had Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, who were champions for close to five months, dominating everyone who stepped in their path. Before them, it was Hell No, one of the longest reigning WWE tag team champions in history, and they won the titles from, like, Kofi Kingston and R-Truth or something like that at last year's Night of Champions pay-per-view. But I would say for the better half of the last year, the tag team division has been great. It had, it's had its low points, don't get me wrong, in the last year, especially earlier on in uh, 2013 when Team Hell No was dominating everybody and the tag team division wasn't interesting at all. But um, the last few tag team champions, the last few tandems that have held those straps have been pretty you know, top-tier names. So I, I give credit to WWE for trying to rebuild the tag team division. But um, where was I here? We had CM Punk and Big E Langston taking on Curtis Axel and Ryback. Now, for those that missed it, last week on SmackDown, CM Punk soundly defeated Big E Langston. Out came Paul Heyman with Curtis Axel and Ryback in tow, insulting both Punk and Big E Langston, who he called a marginal rookie from NXT. This uh, caused uh, Ryback and Axel, Axel to go down to the ring, attack CM Punk. Big E Langston made the save, thus turning babyface in the process. A long time coming. I've been saying this in my reviews for uh, uh, quite a while now, but Big E Langston is much more over as a babyface. If you saw his work down in NXT, just great stuff, great stuff. If you're not watching NXT, you're really missing out. It's one of the best programs in all of, in all of wrestling right now. Um, they actually had their last show last Wednesday. No segments at all. Not one segment on that show. We had two title matches. We had uh, Tyler Breeze versus uh, some hippie whose name escapes me at the moment. We had a, a nice women's match. Um, so NXT, in short, is one of the best shows in all of wrestling right now. If you're not watching it, it's now on Hulu Plus for free. So if you're not watching it, check it out. Um, we're running out of time here, so I'll kind of skip past some of this stuff. But yeah, CM Punk and Big E Langston defeated Axel and Ryback. Big E Langston pinned Axel to win the match, thus earning him a shot at the Intercontinental Championship at Hell in a Cell, which I'll give my prediction for in just a brief bit. Up next, we have the Real Americans versus Tons of Funk, who they soundly defeated. Same match as last week, nothing new there. Zeb Coulter on commentary, on, on commentary with uh, JBL, Michael Cole, and Jerry Lawler was pretty comical. Um, they were talking about politics and stuff, but based off Zeb Coulter's post-match promo, it, uh, it appears that they're going to be going towards the Los Matadores feud with Real Americans, which has been in the works for quite a while now. I'm not sure if they're going to collide at Hell in a Cell, because like I said before, there's just so few matches 
announcing the card right now that I would not be at all be surprised if the match was confirmed for the show. Uh, remember, at Battleground a few weeks ago, we had the Real Americans versus Santino and the Great Khali added to the show at the very last minute. So, again, if it was added to the show, I would not in the slightest be surprised. Up next, we had another tag team match and a number one contender's tag team title match with the Usos putting their number one contendership on the line against the Shield. Personally, I didn't think this match even needed to happen because the Usos, who won a number one contenders match a few weeks ago, are entitled to a shot at the tag team titles. They had yet to gotten. They had yet to get. Um, the Shield, who had the rematch clause for the tag team titles, should automatically be inserted into the matchup. So this match didn't even need to happen, technically, but I'm not going to complain. It was a great matchup. Not as great as your matchup in Money in the Bank a few weeks ago, but still a great effort nonetheless. And as expected, it ended in a no contest. It was announced shortly thereafter that these three teams will meet Cody Rhodes and Goldust, the Usos and the Shield will meet in a triple threat tag team title match on Sunday with the tag team straps on the line. So I'm looking forward to that. And finally, to close the show, we had Daniel Bryan and Randy Orton signing their contract for the WWE Hell in a Cell match this Sunday at the pay-per-view of the same name, Hell in a Cell, with Shawn Michaels as the special guest referee. Um, an absolutely golden segment. I would say the highlight of the show by far. Um, it was kind of a mixed bag in my opinion. I mean, Orton, his mic work was good. It was solid. It was good heel work from Orton. But he just kind of felt like the third wheel here. I mean, Daniel Bryan, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, they all had great heated exchanges with one another, especially Shawn Michaels and Triple H. A lot of history there. They played off that tremendously in the segment um, because, of course, HBK and HHH had yet to encounter one another prior to this show. So that was pretty cool to see them finally come face-to-face for the first time since Triple H turned heel. But um, I don't know. I just felt like the the shine was taken off of the WWE title match because Orton didn't do anything. Besides taking a knee from Daniel Bryan after Big Show distracted him, he drove a rig into the ring, a big monster truck into the ring, into the arena. Not in the ring, I'm sorry. Um, that was unnecessary. Big Show, I've never been a fan of Big Show, but... And again, like I said before, the fact that he keeps interrupting the program despite not being no longer a contracted superstar, and I put that in quotations because, of course, he's still employed by WWE. This is just a storyline thing. Um, that Mr. McMahon is pulling the strings and he's aiding Big Show in his quest to dethrone Triple H and Stephanie McMahon of power. So that makes sense if they're going to ultimately reveal reveal that down the line. But I I don't know. I just don't like the fact that Big Show is clouding the WWE title scene for no reason when the match on Sunday practically sells itself with Orton and Bryan inside the cell with Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee. And by the way, Shawn Michaels did a great job of of making note of the fact that he's going to be impartial on Sunday. He has his issues with Randy Orton. He has his uh, past friendship with Daniel Bryan, whom he trained a number of years ago when Daniel Bryan was just breaking into wrestling. They finally showed the footage, I think, from uh, from Shawn Michaels' documentary. I never saw it, so I'm not exactly sure, but from the video that they showed, um, it looked like it was from Shawn Michaels' DVD from a few years ago, but... That closed the show. Daniel Bryan ends the show standing tall. Overall, from an entertainment standpoint, it was a solid show. I was entertained by it. From a go-home show standpoint, I don't know if it succeeded in persuading, convincing viewers that they need to buy the show on Sunday. And remember, folks, this is the third wrestling pay-per-view of the month. We had Hell in the Cell a few weeks ago. We had Bound for Glory just this past Sunday. We had Hell in a Cell next Sunday. And thankfully, we get a big giant break before Survivor Series next month, which is, which is actually going to be in Boston 
uh, coincidentally enough, not too far away from where I am right now. But um, even still, though, that it's an excessive amount of pay-per-views. It's ridiculous. Uh, it shouldn't happen. All wrestling fans are going to be burnt out by the time October ends. But even still, Hell in the Cell is shaping up to be a solid show. And also, speaking of Raw, I forgot to mention this, but they also aired a video package for John Cena at one point in the night uh, promoting his return of the ring. You know, there's no need to reestablish Cena in the eyes of the WWE Universe because we've seen it a million times. I'm pretty sure that everyone knows who John Cena is, wrestling fan or not, um, that John Cena is the face of the WWE, despite not being in the WWE at the moment, being sidelined with an injury. So, um, you know, with that being said, though, Alberto Del Rio, his opponent on Sunday, the world heavyweight champion, this supposable, um, the next biggest face of the WWE, I guess, and what WWE, it, what it should be. I mean, the world champion should be just as big of a face of WWE as the WWE champion. WWE doesn't look at it that way, um, because Del Rio, to my knowledge, wasn't even on the show. And if he was, I completely forget. But, um, it, I don't. I don't remember him being on the show, but maybe he does something on SmackDown. I don't know. His segment with Josh Matthews last week was just dumb when he talked when he attacked Josh Matthews because I feel zero sympathy for Josh Matthews whenever he gets attacked. I just laugh. But um, even still, on that note, we're going to go into my Hell in the Cell predictions. We've got a few minutes left. I'll just quickly go through these. We have on the pre-show for the Intercontinental Championship on the kickoff show, I guess, what they're, what they're calling it officially. It's Curtis Axel defending his title against Big E Langston, like I said before. The background for this matchup, Big E Langston pinged Axel this past week on Raw, title match tonight, or not tonight, I'm sorry, at Hell in the Cell for the IC title. It should be a good match. Actually, um, oddly enough, they did do this match at an NXT taping a few months ago. Um, it was Babyface Langston versus Axel. The match was decent for what it was, and hopefully their match on Sunday could be better. But it's going to take some time to establish Big E Langston as a Babyface. He just turned... Four days ago on SmackDown, so it's going to be a while before he's a full-fledged babyface in the eyes of the fans. But even still, Curtis Axel, I'm not as lo- I'm not going to say I'm as low. I don't know how you really say it, but um, I'm higher on Axel than most. I guess you could say I like him as a performer. I like him as a champion. He's had several big victories over the likes of John Cena and Triple H, Chris Jericho. He's successfully defended his title against The Miz, Our Truth, Kofi Kingston, Wade Barrett. Um, so he's been a successful champion in my in my book. Not as great as he could be, but uh, his lack of charisma, I think, is what hindered him the most. But if there's anybody that could take the title off of Axel, it is definitely Big E Langston. So I'm going to have to go with Big E Langston here, unless he continued this chase by having Big E Langston win next month at Survivor Series. I'm just going to, my official pick is Langston to win on this show, your new IC champion. Up next, for the Divas Championship, AJ Lee defending the gold against Brie Bella in a rematch from Battleground. And again, I really, really hope that WWE doesn't think that their mindset is is that if they give the championship to Brie Bella, that she's automatically going to be over. If anything, I, th- I think she would get booed, if anything. She would get booed out of the building. Not, not you know, extreme amount of heat, but she would still get booed if she was to be AJ Lee for the, for the Divas Championship. Um, AJ Lee has been doing some of the best work of all the women's wrestlers in years with her recent reign as uh, Divas Champion. So, And I really want to see her go against the likes of Paige, maybe Natalia down the line. I don't think her reign should end here, so I'm going to have to go with AJ Lee here, but I have a very bad feeling that Brie Bella may win on Sunday if WWE opts to go the way of having Brian go over and Brie Bella go over and you have both the baby babyfaces um, uh, celebrate their title victories at Hell in a Cell. 
that's all cute and all, and that's you know all fun games. But if you want to have a really serious wrestling company here, you want to have a real divas division, then you keep the title with AJ Lee, who is a much better performer than Brie Bella any day of the week. Moving right along here to the tag team championship match in Hell in a Cell, Cody Rhodes and Goldust, who had a new mashed up entrance theme on Monday's Raw, which didn't come across too well on most uh, amongst some of the fans that I read comments from. I didn't mind it. I mean, I guess I appreciate the effort that WWE puts into making a new theme for it for this tag team, but um, it was just kind of a dumb song. I mean, it, they they mashed up Cody Rhodes' first theme from when he was dashing from like three years ago, and then Cody and then Goldust. The pitch of his music was different, um, so I appreciate the effort, but the song was just didn't sound good. But anyway, going back to this matchup, Cody Rhodes and Goldust defend their tag team titles on Sunday against the likes of the Shield members Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns and the Usos. This matchup should be fantastic. Um, the matches between the Shield and the Broad Brothers have been fantastic. The matches between the Usos and the Shield have been great. And the matches between the Broad Brothers and the Usos have yet to happen. So I'm looking forward to them um, going at it on Sunday. But if anything, the Rhodes Brothers just won the tag team title, so it would be odd for them to drop the titles so soon into the reign. They should have a nice long reign at the title. So my official pick for this matchup is Cody Rhodes and Goldust going over here after pinning one of the Usos. Up next, now time for our three-match main event. And, of course, this is only the card as we know it right now. Very well, more matches could be added at the last minute. So not at all be surprised, like I mentioned earlier on, if we had more matches added at the final minute. But, um, yeah, even still, this matchup is going to be CM Punk taking on Ryback and Paul Heyman in a handicap Hell in a Cell match one year removed from the Hell in a Cell match pitting CM Punk versus Ryback inside the cell. This year, the roles are reversed. With CM Punk as the babyface and Ryback as the heel, Paul Heyman will be involved in the cell this time. So I'm looking forward to this matchup. I think it's ultimately going to be the blow-off of one of the best feuds of 2013. I've really enjoyed this feud up to this point. I do think it's time to kill it off, though. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if CM Punk goes over in this matchup. So my official pick is CM Punk goes over on Sunday. And if it doesn't, if he doesn't go over and they continue until Survivor Series, fine, but... I guess there's. I, I'm just saying that there's no better way to blow off this feud than to have CM Punk deliver a GTS to Heyman, pin him to win the matchup at Hell in the Cell inside the cell. Um, it would just be poetic justice. So I hope that happens on Sunday. World Heavyweight Championship match time. Alberto Del Rio defending against John Cena. We've seen these two in the ring before. The matchup should be solid. John Cena. A lot of people are questioning: Is he coming back too soon from injury after being out only two months? despite the fact that he was advertised to be out for approximately four to six months. So is he coming back too soon? That remains to be seen. But um, I'm going to have to go with John Cena here. Del Rio, I just don't see him beating John Cena. I could very well see WWE do a unification match for the WWE and World Heavyweight titles, either at Survivor Series. That'd be way too soon. But I could see them doing that either at Survivor Series or WrestleMania. So... And I like Del Rio as champion, but it's a shame that his reign had to come to an end at the hands of John Cena. I would have liked to see Dolph Ziggler as a champion again, but my official pick for this one, John Cena, your new World Heavyweight Champion after Sunday night. And of course, in the main event, it's going to be Randy Orton and John Cena, Randy Orton and Daniel Bryan, rather, in a match inside the Hell in a Cell for the vacant WWE Championship, or the abeyant WWE title, as as I should say, with Shawn Michaels as his special guest referee. These matches between Orton and Bryan since Night of Champions and Battleground and their various matches earlier on this year have all been great. So I'm positive that this match is going to be great as well. Hopefully for the first time since SummerSlam we don't get a screwy finish to this main event. 
I don't at all see Shawn Michaels turning heel, uh, turning heel in this match. It would make no sense. Um, I do see them taking the route of having Team HBK, uh, you know, featuring Brian and maybe some others, against Team Triple H at Survivor Series with maybe Orton and The Shield and maybe a few other people. So that's my official pick for that one. I don't see Shawn Michaels turning heel. It would be asinine in my opinion. Um, he gets too big of a reaction as a babyface, so keep him babyface, have him call it right down the middle, maybe deliver a super kick here or there. And um, Daniel Bryan goes over, though. This is a blow-off to the few. Daniel Bryan goes over. Yep, yep, hooray. We have a new WWE champion, and hopefully Daniel Bryan, uh, his reign lasts more than a day. So that's my official pick for that match and all my official predictions for Hell in a Cell on Sunday. And, of course, a happy 43rd birthday goes out to D'Lo Brown today. Um, so, yeah, that about wraps it up in the world of wrestling. We're about hitting the 10 o'clock point here on the Eastern Coast. Thanks for listening live, guys. As I said earlier on, make sure to check out my podcast. You can check it out at WrestleRantRadio.Podbean.com. Um, for all my latest interviews with the likes of Tommy Dreamer, Jeremy Prophet, Jason Rumble, more interviews coming soon. I will be attending a New England Championship Wrestling event on the 9th of November, so really looking forward to that. We have Survivor Series coming up in November. That should be fun. In Boston, I'm probably not going to be going to it, but definitely should be in a, a fun event nonetheless and of course make sure to check out my official website for all my uh news rumors recaps reviews and much more of everything wwe tna and everything else going on in the world of wrestling at nextera.wrestling.weebly.com where you can also catch a link to this official podcast or this official radio show um as opposed to going through the ec radio website i guess it's an there's an easier way of doing it but um, yeah, even still, make sure to go to WrestleRantRadio.Podbean.com on your mobile device and download the official app by clicking the arrow in the Safari browser and downloading it to your home screen on your mobile device to be notified of when podcast will be uploaded. So like I said before, listen live to WrestleRant Radio, folks, every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 o'clock Central Time. Listen live to the podcast. Or, no, I'm sorry. It's 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 7, 8 o'clock Okay, let me rewind here. Uh, completely botched that. Tuesday nights, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 Central Time on Tuesday nights, and then the replay is on Saturday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, 7 Central Time, folks. So thanks for listening live, folks. And this is GSM signing out. Till next time, guys.